Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to the debut of Between the Links on MMAfighting.com. My name is Mike Heck. Thank you all for joining us. You may be seeing this pop up on the site or on our YouTube page or on the podcast network. You'd be thinking to yourself, what the heck is Between the Links? But to give a brief overview, I've hosted a couple of different iterations of the show over the years before I joined the team over here. But in essence, this is a panel slash debate type of show discussing the biggest news going on in the world of mixed martial arts. This has always been a lot of fun to do, no matter how I put this all together. And this show will be released on Tuesdays right here on MMAfighting.com as you're finding this today. And I'm sure you guys are all going to figure out what we're doing as we move along. So let us introduce the panel for the week to discuss and kind of battle it out for intellectual supremacy on the show this week. First, back from Las Vegas, back from covering UFC on ESPN 9 in Las Vegas, the host of the A-Side live chat right here on MMAfighting.com, Jose Youngs. How are you, sir? I'm great. And I'm really glad you said it was a battle of the intellectual, which means I'm already winning because I don't like bad music like AK Lee. So uh, one point, Jose. There we go. And also joining us is, you know, has been my co-matchmaker for a little while. And I like to call him the five-tool utility player for MMAfighting.com, Mr. Alex K. Lee. Greatest taste in music I've ever heard. How are you, oh. sir? Limp Biscuit. Creed. <laughs> Creed. Nickelback. Three, three of the greatest bands ever, brother. I don't know what to tell you. The numbers don't lie. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I mean, I listened to some Nickelback this morning, so you know, I was I couldn't, I couldn't be doing better. Uh, you know, that's the that's, as most Canadians do. That's how we start our day. Uh, so I could not be doing better. Uh, you know, it's a little bit crazy stuff going on in the world today. Definitely, uh, definitely affecting. I think my mood and everyone else's. But happy to be here with you guys, and uh, you know, doing this little show here. Absolutely. And uh, there's really only one way we can begin the show this week, and that is with the biggest story in the sport, John Jones. This story continues to add different layers and elements as the days go on. But this really took off on Friday of last week. As you all know by now, John Jones and Francis Ngannou, they're looking to collide in a heavyweight bout. And we've been following along on the, with the story on Twitter where John and Francis both are very frustrated because the UFC is not willing to pay more to get this fight on the books. Dana White has said that John wants Deontay Wilder money, 20 to $30 million. John seems to refute that fact. And Dana got more into it after the event on Saturday. And John Jones has seemingly had enough of it all. He asked for his release on a couple of occasions. And on Sunday, John said he was going to vacate the UFC light heavyweight title. There is a lot to unpack here, gentlemen. This is just you know, the tip of the iceberg. Jose, let's start with you. You were there for the whole Dana White side of things from Friday into Saturday. So let's just go this route. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that John Jones will follow through with this, that he is ready to vacate his title in this fight against the UFC and Dana White? I think he's, I, I don't think he will, but I believe if I, I if he did, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, John Jones is a is a proud man. Uh, him and Dana White have butted heads uh, numerous times. Uh, he's been 
both the company man and the and the one that's quote unquote ruined a fight card. I remember when Dana White and John Jones had that big falling out when he wouldn't fight Chael Sonnen on short notice after Dan Henderson pulled out uh, and they canceled an entire card. But then at the same time, he stepped up and fought Ovenstein. Pru on short notice wasn't the best performance, but he did say it was kind of to make up for the Chael Sonnen thing. But at the same time, Dana White moves an entire card from Las Vegas to Inglewood, California. Uh, I can't remember. UFC 232, I believe, was, was the card. So, uh, it, it, But if, if this is really uh, where it's leading, I, I have a feeling that John Jones could vacate the title, uh, but I don't think his time in the UFC is done. He could very well come back, a la uh, when Randy Couture vacated his title or gave the title. I think it was in 2007 because he wanted to fight Fedor, and then eventually he came back and got that fight against Brock Lesnar. But... Uh, if, if I don't think he will, uh, but I, I firmly believe John Jones, uh, when he says he would vacate, he has no problem vacating the title to make the Reyes Yambohovich fight. AK, what do you think? No, I do not think he is going to vacate. However, that's only because I think the UFC will find some way to strip him of the title. Uh, I believe they will want to set up the Jan Blahovitz Dominic Reyes fight, and they'll you know they'll do that thing where they'll say as soon as this fight starts, uh, John Jones is no longer the light heavyweight uh, champion. So uh, I, I I don't think they're going to do the interim thing. I think they're going to set up another title fight, and they're going to use that as an excuse to take the belt off him. They'll cite some sort of vague uh, you know he's not his conduct online, maybe his social media you know things comments made on social media show he's not committed to defending his title and thus we will now take the title away from him they'll find some way to some way to uh, to do it but i don't think he uh, what i'm trying to say is you know i don't think he was serious about vacating um i i think if it were up to him it is kind of a negotiating tactic um but i think he might have taken it he's taking it to another level with some of the comments he's made. And uh, I'm sure Dana White and Hunter Campbell and all the other guys at the UFC are trying to maintain a level head, but I do wonder how far they can be pushed before one having to react and also, you know, keeping the division moving with, uh, with guys who deserve a title shot. So no, I think we'll see him get stripped, uh, not vacate and he won't vacate. We, we always try to find like different narratives of these situations. And part of me is thinking that this is actually very brilliant on John because one, he's, become the biggest story in MMA and it seems like he's doing it for the right reasons. Plus, you know, when he has had some of the the vocal members, you know, of the media on his side, like when was the last time that has happened? It seems like, you know, a lot of these writers are writing long form features about how John Jones is correct in this situation. I can't remember the last time that's happened. And another reason is, you know, Dana has stated that he doesn't want John, John Jones to go up to heavyweight because he might want to become the champion up there. And if he does, he's not really a fan of someone tying up two constantly moving divisions. This would make things easier for a move up to heavyweight for John because it takes away another hurdle. But Alex, back to you. Let's just say the first round of a metaphorical fight between John Jones and Dana White in the UFC is now in the books. <laughs> We're getting ready for round two. How are you scoring the opening round in a 10-point must system? I'm going to go, oh gosh, you know, I just don't feel like the UFC ever really loses these battles. So I, I my first instinct was to say, I really like uh, a lot of the things John had said. I don't necessarily, you know, I like the message. I don't necessarily approve of the messenger. I feel like this is a Jose Canseco steroid situation where we may not want to listen based on who it is. But there's certainly some truth amidst, uh, you know, some of the, the trash talk and, and possibly half-truths that are, that are in there. Uh, so I'm going to go 10-9 for the UFC uh, because, again, uh, I just don't know how much leverage John Jones has. The threats are very exciting to read. Uh, you know, I, I, again, some of the points are very valid. But in these battles, man, the UFC always wins. So maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm, I'm looking ahead too much, but I, I'll give a narrow 10-9 to the UFC. Jose, are you in agreement or does John no, Jones take the round? I think- 
I think John Jones is in the right here. Dana White himself said, like it was, I was at this scrum. And also this isn't round one. This is like round five between John <laughs> Jones and, and the UFC. This has been going on since like 2012, 2013. Um, Dana White said, no one, he doesn't deserve $30 million, which is what he, John, which is what Dana is allegedly saying, because apparently there are text messages. John Jones says, release him. Dana White goes, I don't want to do that. And then, but then, like 30 seconds after he says he doesn't deserve 30 million, he also calls him the greatest fighter who ever lived. So if you're the greatest fighter who ever lived, why don't you deserve to get paid the most money? Like Dana White basically just said, no one's better than you. No one's beating you. You're the greatest who's ever done it, but you don't deserve to get paid like it. Like it was just the most bizarre. Like the fact that they were like that, those comments were back to back. Or very bizarre. Also, John Jones does have leverage right now, I think, because of what's happening in the world. We saw him outside Albuquerque trying to uh, make peace with a lot of the protesters. So his priorities are there. So, uh, yes, I think John Jones, A, has a lot of leverage because Dana White called him the greatest. Uh, he said he wasn't asking for $30 million. He was asking for a half of half. And then John Jones called his bluff and said, put out the text messages. Dana White won't do it. So uh, for this movement that is going on right now, uh, after the the travesty in Minneapolis, I think John Jones has the leverage uh, right now for sure. So uh, if he, I just like I said, if John Jones wants to vacate and and not be the LeBron of MMA, but start this movement that like imagine a world where John Jones is the one that starts that gets a union movement started like that. It would like 2020 would truly be the most bizarre year uh, in mixed martial arts. So uh, yeah, I, I think John Jones uh, is. Oddly as it is for everything that he's done the last few years, I think John Jones is in the right right now. Hashtag, hashtag, release the Snyder cut. It worked. Hashtag, release the Jones texts. Or just, <laughs> don't, Jones watch, text. or just don't watch the Justice League because it's a bad movie in general. I've never seen it. I don't plan <laughs> oh, to. But uh, has, hey, look, that hashtag worked. Hashtag, release the Jones texts. Let's see the truth. Let's lay it out on the table. Well, let's just say. I don't know who's actually winning this, but I think John's in a, in a great position right now, oh, if we're being yeah. honest. And, and last thing on this before we move on to the next topic, Jose, we'll start with you. Fans have been looking at John Jones a certain way for a long time now. Like, there is no real gray area here. It's not like they feel about Colby, but John, like, has its own, you know, feeling towards him. It's either we love this guy, he's the greatest of all time, or, you know, we can't stand him, he's a screw-up, whatever. But do you think John has swayed some of these naysayers in your opinion with everything going on here. Like we saw stone cold Steve Austin get over huge in pro wrestling because he was the anti-establishment guy. He's the guy that, you know, was against the the corporation. Is this working for John sort of breaking down the fourth wall or at least teasing it more and more? I think John's had a lot of fans in general because of his behavior off the, off out of the octagon. Like who is the most popular character in the history of cinema it's darth vader he's by far i think he's the most popular he's the bad guy the joker is the most popular like comic book character ever he's a bad guy people love to go against the 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 authority and the establishment i've been at press conferences where daniel cormier is like the nicest human being in the world if anyone has any reason to dislike john jones it's Daniel Cormier giving his history uh, with people that have been taken away from his life due to drunk driving. John Jones gets these DUIs and, and uh, drag racings and hit and runs. 
Daniel Corman has every right to be angry, and the, he had he has the sympathetic story. I've been at press conferences where people boo Daniel Cormier and cheer John Jones because people relate to what John Jones is going through. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, I like to partake in this nonsense too. I can relate to this guy who also happens to be the greatest fighter of all time. Uh, I remember when John Jones was getting booed, not because of what he was doing at the octagon, but because he was beating uh, the Randy, not Randy toys, like the Leon Machitas, the Rampages, the Rashad Evans. Like they were, he was beating the heroes. So that's why people were mad. Now people are cheering him because he's a, the anti-hero who's uh, everyone can quote relate to that, that, that isn't a professional athlete and he's going against the authority now. So, uh, I wouldn't say it's swayed more or less because, of course, you're going to see the racism online anyway because it's John Jones and what's happening in the world right now. So uh, I don't know if it's swaying, but John Jones's fan base has always been there. And this also, yes, this will gain him fans if that's the question. What do you think, Alex? Because, you know, there's fans of the fighting. There's fans like Jose said. And I feel like John has tried all these different things. He's tried to sort of embrace the heel at times, but then he tries to be the baby face at times. And that doesn't go over well either. How do you think this all pans out in terms of how his fan base grows or, or does it not grow at all? Well, well, Mike, that's the thing right there is he has to sustain. Okay. He has to, as the kids say, uh, keep this energy. I don't know if I'm using that correctly. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm over 30. Uh, he, he, he's like you said, he's had moments in the past where it feels like, oh, wow, we're really seeing, I don't know, quote unquote, the real John Jones. But then he'll, he'll say comments that kind of go the other way or, or he'll, he won't quite commit. You know, this guy does not commit to being a, a bad guy, as it were. In some ways, I think that's a good thing. I don't know if we want someone who, you know, glorifies some of the unfortunate uh, outside of the cage instances that he's been involved in, but there's a way to do it. Uh, you know, there's a way to kind of play up on that. And look at Chel Sonnen. Chel Sonnen, uh, again, has actually had some legal, real life legal problems that that uh, and serious ones. Uh, you know, I know, I know they're not as sexy crimes like DUIs and that. But if people look up, you know, what was the embezzlement? Uh, I, sh- I shouldn't say that, but he had some some financial crime. I just say some white collar crime. There we go. Um, so I, again, I know that doesn't quite draw the ire of people as much, but. He's done stuff, but he knows how to play on that image, you know, uh, and John Jones never really has. He's had moments, right? But then he'll revert to this or he'll revert to that or he'll backtrack. So uh, as much as he should capitalize on this kind of stone cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon moment, I don't trust him to do it. Uh, that's kind of why um, I also said, goes with what I said before, I don't trust him to vacate either. And these are very strong comments. I think everyone's kind of caught up in this moment. But I say give it another week, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see the situation cool down uh, between himself and Dana White. And we remember this is kind of just another blip on the radar. It's been a fascinating story to this point so far. John Jones had one of the more interesting Sundays of any MMA fighter in history with you know the title stuff. And then he's taking spray cans away from vandals on the streets of Albuquerque on Sunday night and early Monday morning. The man has uh, been out there making things happen, no doubt about that. But uh you know, I have no point structure here, so 500 points for for Jose Young. How about that? To, uh, to by the way, by the way, my apologies to Chelsea. It was uh, money laundering in connection with mortgage fraud, so I don't want to I don't want to mischaracterize what happened there. But just saying, there was some white collar crime with uh, Chelsea. I appreciate the the clarification there. Of we course. could talk about John Jones for another hour easy. We could do a whole show on that. But you know, let's take a look back at Saturday night's return to Las Vegas UFC on ESPN nine this past Saturday. What a what a hell of a card that was. Great fights, great finishes. We had some breakout performances as well. This was a fun one on Saturday night for the most part. Gilbert Burns dominates Tyron Woodley in the main event, puts him in a great spot in the welterweight division. So, Alex, we'll start with you. You're from Canada, so I think you'll appreciate this question. Uh, 
the three of us in different ways, we all sort of took a dive into a lot of this card after the event on Saturday night with the post-fight coverage. But in the NHL, after each game, there's always the the three stars of the game, and they rank them from number three to number one. And, of course, number one gets the big ovation. So how would you lay out your three stars from UFC Vegas and why? Well, uh, first of all, Mike, as you know, I'm more of a fan of uh, real hockey, you know, the kind of hockey that is played in a field around the world. Uh, And, you know, the other and, you know, as other countries refer to this, uh, I believe what's a popular sport here is ice hockey. So I will say refer to it as such in the future. Um, But I would say number one star. It's hard to dispute Gilbert Burns. You know, he he main events huge opportunity it's the opportunity he's been asking for for so long he capitalized in every possible way he made he made tyron woodley a former ufc champion look like he didn't belong in there with him it was the best form of gilbert burns we've seen and uh he looks primed for it he performed so well that if they announced kamaru uzman versus versus uh gilbert burns tomorrow i don't think anyone would 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 argue i think they'd be like yep he's hot right now give him the fight um even and their friends there's some storyline there so that's interesting second star some people aren't going to like this. I got to go with Mackenzie Dern. I also feel like she was in a situation where she really needs to pick up a signature win um, after that loss to Amanda Rebus. She's making weight, which is good. I know it's only two. I know it's two fights in a row, but hey, two fights in a row is better than none, right? She's making weight. She got a highlight reel submission. Uh, you know, you can say what you want about Seifer's <laughs> tactics going to the ground with her, but doesn't matter. The opportunity was there. She took advantage of it. And look, Dern's got a lot of hype. These are the kind of fights she she needs to have and, and highlights she needs to have. This reminds me of when uh, Paige Van Zandt picked up that the head kick of Beck Rawlings, right? It's it's like, for that moment, at least, the hype seemed justified. And there's that clip that they can at least use for the future and, and uh, you know, uh, whenever they're promoting Dern fights from now on. Third star. There's a lot of great performances in this card. I'm going to lean towards uh, Casey Kenny. I think Casey Kenny really made a statement. The bantamweight division, so competitive. It seems to get more crowded with contenders every day. Uh, he knocked off a longtime veteran, very exciting fighter in Luis Smoka with a really nice choke. Got that finish he'd been looking for and uh, bounced back from a loss to uh, Mirab Devalashvili. So there you go. I'll go I'll go Burns and Dern and uh, Casey Kenny. Jose, how are you setting yours up? Uh, I'm going to start with Billy Quarantillo, uh, n- number one. Uh, I'm outside of Gilbert Burns because I knew we're, we would both be in agreement that Gilbert Burns would be the biggest star of the night considering he put on. I basically pitched a perfect game against a former champion on the biggest stage of his career. It's like the equivalent of throwing a perfect game in the World Series in like game, in like game two. It's unbelievable. Um, uh, Billy Quarantillo uh, lost the first round in a fight that was he, – he didn't get dominated or he didn't get destroyed, but it was like – uh, uh, Spike Carlisle just like flew out of the gate and was had, had all the hype in the world on him. Uh, and Billy Quarantillo not only came back and won, but it was an unbelievable fight. All of us were talking about how it was a fight of the fight of the night, if not shortlist or fight of the year. Which uh, no one is beating uh, Wiley versus Joanna for 2020. I'm going to say it now. There will not be a better fight for the rest of the next until December 31st. Uh, so, but put this in the top five to the point where when they didn't get fight of the night, there was such an outcry on social media that when I asked Dana White, Dana White said, that bums me out. And he began to rethink his selection. How many times we just talked about it. How many times has Dana White changed his mind on something? It never happens. And Dana White was on camera visibly disappointed that he didn't give the fight of the night to the pick everyone was saying. So Billy Quarantillo was also uh, changed in a white's mind, incredibly well-spoken. I said this to Mike, I made this comparison. It reminds me of when Alexander Hernandez made his debut right after the scrum. 
I was like, wow, this kid is so well-spoken and can carry himself so well on camera that the UFC, he's not going to be a massive star right away, but he's a guy that knows the, how to promote himself and knows what to do. I, he went straight from the press conference to the media tent and then was doing a phone interview right after all in the media tent. So uh, Billy Quarantillo uh, was changed Dana White's mind, knows how to carry himself, and picks up the biggest win of his career against a guy with a big name. Uh, number two, I'll say Jamal Hill, uh, simply because he got a text message from Halle Berry saying, I know who you are now. Well, he, she texts Dana White. So if Halle, Halle Berry knows who you are, you got to be a star. Uh, he also called out John Jones at the end of his press conference and said, that fight has to happen eventually. So we always talk about how these prospects need names. Like, don't say, oh, I'll fight anyone. He did say that, but he goes, that fight against John Jones has to happen eventually. I don't care how it happens. So text him from Halle Berry, calls out John Jones, fights in the UFC Apex. you got to be a star. And then Mackenzie Dern's a big one, also gets the, the first ever leg lock submission win in the history of women's uh, fighting in UFC. But I'll say Kyle and Chikagin's another big one. Uh, didn't get for solely because of how honest she was after. Best performance of her career. The first takedown she's ever shot in her UFC career. Uh, is saying she has baby fever, but is putting that off to accomplish her goals now, which is not a surprise considering she 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 postponed her initial title fight to get married, but then also skipped her prom to have a Golden Gloves comp match. So her priority, she knows what her priorities are. Uh, someone asked her, uh, "Does this feel good getting the the revenge against uh, Valentina's sister Antonina?" She goes, "No, they're different people." And then she was brutally honest, saying Valentina dominated me, and I had to put on a good performance. So best performance of her career, most overall well-rounded uh, performance of her career, and of how brutally honest she was in her, in her last performance and what she wants moving forward. you got to respect it. So uh, I'll say those three names for my uh, stars of the night. Uh, by the way, Jose, sorry, I just wanted to say – uh, your point at the top about uh, we might not – we probably won't see a better fight than uh, Zhang and uh, yeah, Jacek. Man, we've got a we've got that rebooking of the Brian Ortega Korean zombie fight. That's definitely going to happen this year. So I don't know. There's a chance. There's I don't a know chance. what fight that is. I don't know. What I, fight that is. I know. I know. You've been looking forward to that fight forever. Uh, I know it was booked a while ago, and I can't remember what happened. I don't remember anything happening to it. I just remember it's getting pushed back now. Uh, so that's the fight's definitely going to happen. You I'm not saying I believe in curses, but that fight is 100 cursed, and <laughs> that fight's not going to happen because Jose wants Come it to on. happen, and anything I want to happen. Oh, so there you go. That's that similar to how uh Canada's never like you guys all want a Stanley Cup for ice hockey. You guys are never gonna win that anytime soon. So thank you for calling it ice hockey, it's proper name. Thank you. Right. We're we're just going all over the place right now. I like both <laughs> I, I like I like where both of you guys are coming from and kind of going through my list and, and really thinking about it earlier. You can certainly mix and match a few of the other people that we didn't mention, like Roosevelt Roberts and and uh you know, you mentioned Casey Kenny, Brandon Roy Val is another name that that probably deserves to be up there. But oh, yeah. one guy that could get into this argument even after a loss is Spike Carlisle. Like I, mm-hmm. I scored the fight for Billy Q, and people were talking about Billy Q, especially after the post fight stuff. Jose, you mentioned it, but man, all everyone, like my casual like MMA fan friends, want to talk to me about is that crazy redheaded guy with the dreadlocks or not dreadlocks, uh, cornrows. the cornrows, Spike Carlisle and how much of a madman he is. Like his stock rose a ton on Saturday, yeah. even though he lost. But for me, it was probably Burns, Kenny, Roy Val. That's probably where I'm leaning, but I could see the arguments for a lot of other people. But um, Mike, 
Mike, yeah. isn't that one of the ultimate ways to get someone into MMA? Is I remember when I Chris Lieben was one of the first guys who got me into MMA. Uh, when he knocked out, oh my gosh, uh, the, the name escapes me. He knocked out uh, Lester Sakara, and there was other people who fought. Like, I think Anderson Silva also fought later in that card. But I remember at the end of the night, my question was, who was that crazy guy? Who was that Chris Lieben guy? And it's funny, it, it is amazing the kind of people that catch your eye. And that's sometimes all it takes to get you involved. But yeah, I can totally see people seeing Spike Carlisle and going like, I must know more and I must see this guy fight again. <laughs> yeah, that's how Tim Elliott was for my older brother. When, mm-hmm. uh, apparently Tim Elliott didn't remember rounds two and three right. of Oscar Askarov, but my brother texted me that night and said, who's the wild man in the mullet? And uh, that's who it was. And I had to tell Tim Elliott about that story. But Alex, <laughs> you're going to even things up here. Let's move ahead to this Saturday. The UFC returns to the pay-per-view side of things. With UFC 250, the main event is Amanda Nunes defending her women's featherweight title against Felicia Spencer at the UFC Apex. Jose, we'll dive into the rest of the card in a few minutes because it's really good overall, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. people are sort of uh, they're sort of poo-pooing this main event. And the main reason why is because most people expect Amanda Nunes to run right through Felicia Spencer, defend her title successfully. And because of that... Here's my question. Of course, anything can happen in, in a fight, as you know. But outside of the title she'll be defending, what is at stake for Amanda Nunes? How can she maximize these minutes to the best of her ability, especially if the fight plays out the way most expected to? Uh, she not only has to dominantly win, but she has to perform. She she basically, like, like we've talked about this on the A side, like Casey's brought it up a few times too, where Amanda Nunes hasn't really, like, her, 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 she doesn't have a lot of weaknesses, if any, but if anything she's shown is she is susceptible to, be, if, if someone gets on top of her, like the Kat Zingano loss, or like even Alexis Davis is, was, is, a, is a high level black belt from her strike force days, and she hasn't really fought anyone like those two fighters. In a long time, she's fought obviously predominantly strikers, and yes, Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate are, are grappling heavy, but Amanda, Amanda Nunes put them away violently. So she needs a performance like that, where uh, she basically takes no damage and just tears through Felice Spencer, because Felice Spencer went three rounds with Chris Cyborg, who everyone called the greatest featherweight of all time, and Amanda Nunes, of course, just steamrolled her in 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 less than a round. Uh, Felice Spencer is uh, is. Is not like the physically like the like as muscular as Chris Cyber, but she is so good on the ground. Great wrestling. Submitted Megan Anderson. Uh, like I said, went went three full rounds of Chris Cyborg. That was pre- predominantly stand up. Uh, so yeah, she needs basically a perfect game and a violent win to show that yeah, I might have weaknesses, but I've worked on them and I am the greatest female fighter of all time because she hasn't defended. Her featherweight title yet. She'd become the first fi- fighter in UFC history to defend both belts while holding them simultaneously. Because, of course, Daniel Cormier defended the light heavyweight championship against Bolton Ozdemir and then beat Stipe, but then gave up the light heavyweight championship. And Connor has never defended his titles uh, simultaneously. And, of course, Henry Cejudo never defended his flyweight title. Uh, so she can make history as being uh, the first fighter in general, not male or female, to defend both while holding simultaneously and beating uh, someone who many, including myself, her strengths play into Amanda Nunes' weakness. So she needs a violent, dominant win uh, to, to really, really cement herself and her legacy. Alex, what, what is at stake in your opinion for Amanda Nunes besides the title and, and history and all that stuff? Like sometimes you need motivation to fight. Sometimes you just like just wrecking everybody. Is, is that what do you think it is? Or is there something more to this that we're not seeing? 
Uh, there's a couple of things. I mean, for one, I think there's a little bit of redemption involved. I don't know if people remember her her win over uh, Jermaine Durandamy, which was the a bantamweight title defense, uh, was not very well received. I think there was a lot of disappointment that she, you know, that's an opponent that she had finished before. Uh, and, and in theory, you know, Nunez is a better fighter than she is now. And pro- and I think people thought she was going to finish her even quicker. Instead, it went it went the distance. And that's a credit to, to uh, Durand me. She's a great fighter. But uh, th- it really left a bad taste in people's mouths. But what it reminded me of was, you know, Anderson Silva. I think people forget not all his title defenses were like crazy highlights. You know, he has an amazing highlight reel. Which is great. So you can edit out some of like the Patrick Cote defense, the Taz Leite's defense, things like that, you know. But I think... I'm looking big picture here. This is where Nunez can be. I know she's already regarded as, uh, you know, the greatest female fighter of all time, but you can you can strengthen that case because again, if you look at Anderson Silva, I mean, he has one of the strongest cases ever, and, and he's built it. He built it so well. And, and yes, some people have um, kind of arguably surpassed him. You know, some people say GSP is better. Uh, John Jones may have uh, beaten that resume, but I think Nunez needs to keep stacking it up because somewhere down the road, another great female fighter will come along uh, and challenge this legacy. So it's not so much about uh, necessarily the specific opponent, but she just has to keep building that resume. Um, I know she's probably going to take some time off soon to to start a, to start a family with with Nina Ansaroff, of course. But every win matters. I, I, again, I know it doesn't always look pretty, like the the Jermaine Durandami fight, you know. But just keep winning, and it's it's about building that resume. And then it's you got to look big picture when you look at all the wins stacked up. You know, her win streak now is ten. You know, wait till it becomes 14, 15, 16, like Andrew Silva. That's when we'll look back on all these fights and go, like, wow, they all meant something like together. You know, maybe not all of them individually, but together. So big picture, yeah, it, it means a lot. And again, gotta kind of wash out the not so great taste of her last tail defense. Yeah, and you just for those who are poo-pooing this, you just have to fight who's in front of you. And mm-hmm. I, I deep down I felt like Megan Anderson was probably the the bigger draw overall, but I feel like in a way the UFC might be a little more invested in Megan, so they want to like see her improve. But also Felicia Spencer's the deserving number one contender. She yeah, beat she beat her. Yeah. yeah, right. Like they did the right I thing. I remember they, and then they both won in Norfolk and the whole conversation was who's gonna get the next title <laughs> shot? I'm like, Felicia Spencer. Like that, <laughs> there's your answer. She beats Megan Anderson and then fights three rounds of Chris Cyborg and then picks up a win. Like it's her. Megan Anderson wins one more. She's next. So the meritocracy thing. I mean, we don't we don't get to talk about this too much, but uh, obviously, I, I feel like Spencer is the more competitive fight. She deserves it. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. If, like maybe a motivation for Nunes is to keep a division alive on Saturday night. Like that might be something. But the end. This is just uh, as both you guys sort of alluded to. This is to add pieces to the legend that is the Lioness. But Alex, I do want to go back to you because. When we talk biggest upsets in UFC history, most people are going to go right to Matt Serra beating George St. Pierre. But if Felicia Spencer goes out there and beats Amanda Nunes on Saturday night and becomes the UFC women's featherweight champion, is this the new number one upset of all time in UFC title fight history? Firstly, uh, there is no featherweight division anyway. There's no keeping a featherweight division alive. That's no disrespect to the women who compete at 145 pounds, but for a division has to have more than like six people in it and uh you know so until they until the it's really i'm it's really i'm criticizing the ufc for not trying to build that division and i acknowledge it's difficult to do it it, it is a hard division to build but there really is no featherweight division there are champions and there are fighters who fight at 145 that's not the same thing as having a division uh no mike almost nothing i i really struggle to think of anything that would surpass uh george st pierre versus matt sarah that to me personally is the greatest he matt sarah a respected veteran though got his title fight off a reality show off of the ultimate fighter uh you won't see that again uh, he was nowhere near the number one contender like we, like jose just said felicia spencer clear-cut number one contender say what you want about name value her relative lack of experience she, she's she's uh, always held her 10th 
career fight, I think, which sounds crazy, uh, but she is a qualified. She is absolutely the number one contender. Uh, Matt Sarah wasn't even close. And the manner in which Matt Sarah did it was crazy. Definitely, if Felicia Spencer gets like a first round submission or something of, of Nunez, it would probably make it a top three upset. It'd probably have to be up there. But uh, it's really, really difficult for me to say anything uh, would pass GSP and Matt Sarah. So I, I'm leaning towards no, uh, regardless of the result on Saturday. Jose, our sport is is not like baseball. It's not like historically based. We are as recency biased as any sport could possibly be. Is there any way that Felicia Spencer could eclipse Matt Sarah if she beats him no. in his? What if she finishes no. her? No, Matt Sarah, like like AK said, like to me, like everyone argues, like what's the biggest upset? Like there is, like it's Matt Sarah. There might have been bigger betting underdogs that have won, but Matt, like. To go off of what AK said, like, yeah, he got his number one contendership from a, a reality show. He was also a lightweight that had a not that got knocked out bad by uh, uh what's his name? Oh my god, I can't remember his name. He got the spinning back fist. Johnny Carter. Uh, Johnny Carter, yeah. Mr. International. Um, yeah, so <laughs> he was a lightweight that basically was on the outs with the UFC because his record wasn't that great. Basically, like you have to fight a welterweight on this comeback season of tough. Uh, and then if you win, you get a title shot. So he was a lightweight. He was basically about to get cut. Wins a reality show and barely won that. Barely, barely won that fight, <laughs> and then knocks out George St. Pierre, who at the time, yeah, George. Now it's great, but at the time, I agree. George St. Pierre had like I think he had just won his belts, if maybe one title fight before. Mm. So yep. it's not like he had thirteen defenses or anything like. But still, like you look at them, George, as they say in the business, looks great getting off the bus. Matt Sarah was a blown up lightweight who knocked out Matt George St. Pierre, who basically who tapped to strikes. Like, look, watch that fight. Matt George St. Pierre is like tapping his hand on the thing. So, no, not like if Felicia Spencer wins, I actually think she has a good shot of winning. I'm picking Amanda Nunes, but uh, Felicia Spencer has a better shot of beating Amanda Nunes than I gave Matt Sarah against George St. Pierre. Uh, Jose and I are agreeing a little too much, so I will play devil's advocate against him uh, and myself just for the sake of disagreeing. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I will say the only, and it's kind of pick up actually though on something he just said. The only case you could make is that George St. Pierre was not George St. Pierre yet. I mean, I think he was still pretty amazing at the time. He'd fi- he'd finally got that win over Matt Hughes, but he wasn't George St. Pierre yet. If you want to argue that Amanda Nunez is further along in sort of her championship legacy than George St. Pierre was at the time, yes, that that's a fact. She she is further along and and is certainly uh, more uh, more spoken about as greatest of all time than George St. Pierre was. He would later, uh, you know, get that claim with, with, with his title run. But uh, that's it. Other than that, uh, other than that argument, I I, I think Jose and, and there, I, there have been fights in the past where someone said, if this person wins, this is the biggest upset ever. I'd say 100%. If Betchko Hey beat Ronda Rousey, that would be the biggest upset I've ever seen. If Yana Kuyinskaya beat Chris Cyborg, that would be the biggest upset I've ever seen. If, if, if Ovin St. Preux went there and just ethered John Jones in one round. That'd be the biggest upset I've ever seen. But like this fight, no. Uh, Felice Spencer, like like AK said, is is the number one contender. So she deserves this fight. And I think Casey's also in agreement that she has a legitimate chance of winning. I don't think I don't I can't speak for Casey. I think Amanda's gonna win, but Felicia has a good shot. I don't know if we're getting commentary from the truck. No, nope, I don't hear anything from the truck. Okay, sorry, Mike. Go on. Nothing, nothing from the truck. Nothing from the truck. Silent. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. The, the truck. The truck just said point to Jose. Okay. Fair enough. All right. The truck agrees. Okay. Uh, let's head into our final question of regulation here. We saw the graphic on Saturday night with the full fight card for UFC 250. There's some 
Very interesting matchups for sure. We have a couple of fights on there that will have a huge impact on respective divisions. There's fights on here that people are looking towards, looking more forward to than the main event itself. So Alex K. Lee, Mr. Optimism, how would you grade this card from top to bottom as it stands right now? Man, this card looks good. This card's like a solid B plus. Like I gave, I gave the card that just happened a, an A minus, which I feel comfortable with. Uh, that was our immediate reaction after. I almost actually want to give that grade to this, but I think it is missing. Uh, I will say, uh, uh, I guess, a main event that has a really like widespread appeal. Though again, I do think it's a better main event than people think. So I'll go a strong, strong B plus. And man, uh, look at the bantam. Man, I just got to say, the bantamweight division is so good. I think, you know, this is kind of part of the discussion of why people are so upset. Uh, or at least maybe I'm speaking for myself with the with the uh, the, the title fight with uh, Aldo and uh, and Ayan, because here look here are the guys competing on 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 Saturday: Hafal Sal, Cody Garbrandt, former champion; uh, Aljamain Sterling, Corey Sanhagen, Eddie Wineland, a, a one-time title contender, facing Sean O'Malley, Cody Stamen, Brian Kelleher on the prelims. That's a great fight. Like the bantamweight division is on fire, and, and I would say just top to bottom of this card, I don't know if there's a fight on paper that does not have either the the uh, the potential for a strong three round fight or or a big finish um it's a really good looking card i'm going hard b plus jose you uh as as positive maybe more positive i'm more, more positive because i'm gonna be there man uh this, this <laughs> fight is an a this fight card is an a like i don't a. like that main event rules felicia spencer amanda nunez versus felicia spencer i love that fight like rules that I wanted as soon as Felicia Spencer won in Norfolk, I was like, I, I need to see her fight Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes is the greatest female fighter of all time, one of the greatest fighters in general of all time. And anytime we get to see uh, people like that, we consider the greatest test themselves against people who might not be as good of a fighter, but are so good in one area that the champion doesn't shine in. I'm all about. It's like when when Anderson fights Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen, I don't think, was a better fighter than Anderson, but is clearly a better wrestler. And Anderson did historically didn't do great against wrestlers. So I wanted to see that fight, even the first fight I wanted to see. Uh, and then we saw what happened with that. So I am hyped for that fight. Cody Garbrandt has said he might even drop down to flyweight if he wins. He just wanted to have unfinished business with Rafael Sansa. So if this is the last time we see Cody Garbrandt at 135, I'm hyped to see him at 125. Of course, you have Sugar Sean, Eddie Wineland. Uh, you got Neil Magny, Anthony Rocco. Neil Magny looked unbelievable in his last fight. He had that like loop around uh like hook against the leech uh sterling court uh cory sanhagen should be the number one contender fight i don't hate peter yan versus jose aldo solely based on the fact that that fight will probably happen on fight island and they need a big international fight uh oh oh no we lost jose no i will i will carry on his thought carry there. on yes uh, as he was saying uh what well, the, the the Jan Aldo fight is not like the worst thing in the world. Again, one on paper, I, I think we've kind of spoken this before. On paper, if you told me, do I want to see Piotr Jan and Jose Aldo fight at some point? Yeah, sure. It's a cool fight on paper. Both guys very skilled. And as Jose was saying, Fight Island is looking to, you know, Dana White is looking to land on Fight Island, wherever it is, with a bang. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, you get a big, you know, Jose Aldo, he's not like the biggest, you know, uh, pay-per-view draw, or I don't know, if, and I don't know if it will be a pay-per-view, but he certainly is a guy with a lot of international cachet. I would imagine even extending beyond his native Brazil. I think he's the kind of guy who uh, a lot of other countries would enjoy as well. He's been around for so long. Definitely one of the fighters who can lay claim to being one of the greatest of all time. Uh, I, I would say, again, he's in my personal top five, pound for pound. Um, so 
yeah, I, I, he was kind of making a point that that's that's not the worst thing, which I which I agree with. But uh, he was also uh, hyping up the rest of the card, uh, and like we said, it's a good one. Um, so again, I wouldn't go as far as an A, but uh, Jose will have to be there. So I'm glad that the normally, the occasionally morose Jose Youngs, uh, who wasn't as as glowing in Jacksonville, let me put it that way. I'm glad that uh, he seems to have mustered up a lot of enthusiasm for this uh, card that he will be attending. Thank you, Alex. And I uh, I like this card as well. I think everyone has their eye on Sterling versus Sanhagen. I think that's such a fascinating fight. I'm a little surprised the UFC actually hasn't flipped that fight to the co-main event over Garbrandt versus the Sun Sao, but we're not promoters. There must be some reasoning for that, but uh, but that's just what it is because we're not talking like actual fights themselves because I'm sure we're going to discuss that on the preview show. But Jose, now that you're back with us and no longer a question mark, uh, from a storyline perspective, what storyline or question is out there that is flying under the radar heading into Saturday night that you are looking forward uh, to getting the answer to that most people may not be thinking about right now? I mean, the easy one is to see Sugar Sean O'Malley go against Eddie Wineland. That's a very much a vet versus – that is the definition of vet versus uber prospect. Sean O'Malley has all the hype in the world behind him right now. Uh, couldn't have had his, his return to the octagon go any better against Jose Quinones back in January on a massive card. So that's the easy one. Uh, of course, uh, I like the Ian Hines Gerald Mearshart fight. Uh, Gerald Mearshart has what, like twenty something submission wins. So I'm always curious to see if he can get another one. Uh, selfishly, I like the Cody Stamen uh, Brian Kelleher fight just because Brian Kelleher is uh, once again part of the Crystal Crew. He's riding a, a two fight uh, win streak with both uh, performance of the night bonuses. Really wants that Sugar Sean fight. Uh, if they can both pull off. Uh, wins over the biggest named opponents they've had ever. Uh, well, I know uh, Keller has that fight against John Lineker, but at this point, I think Cody Stamen holds a little more water. I went over him at this point in 2020. So those two specifically for the bantamweight division are really great. And then Bruce Leroy asked Saris, I love this fight. I have this one circled because Alex Osiris seems to be one of those guys that the UFC likes to match up with these uh, not these prospects too. Uh, I was at his fight against Jair Rodriguez in Salt Lake. I really loved that fight. Uh, of course, they had him fight uh, Crone Gracie here in Phoenix when he got submitted. Uh, I think he fought uh, Ocho too. So uh, I love I, I love watching Bruce Leroy fight fellow Weeb, and then uh, Chase Hooper is another one of those guys like Sugar Sean where the UFC has really kind of put the promotion. Uh, uh, machine behind him with his personalized M&Ms and he's on Fight Pass head, uh, interviewing Jorge Masvidal. So uh, outside of the main card, well, I know Wineland, uh, Sugar Sean is on the main card, but it's the first fight. So I'm really going to, I'm, I'm excited for a lot of these, these bantamweight and featherweight uh, prelim fights for sure. Alex, what about you? What's your under the radar storyline heading into Saturday night? I mean, do I only get one? Because I I feel like you asked Jose for one, and you asked him for an excerpt. He gave you the whole chapter. Jeez, Louise. You're welcome. Uh, (laughs) My goodness. I'm like, like, he said storyline, singular. Jeez, what am I supposed to do? I don't have nothing to work with here. I'll I'll just add on to that. Read a book once in a while. There's multiple (laughs) storylines in a book. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, and if if I'm asked for anyway. Cody Stamen, uh, Brian Keller, I do like the storyline here for the reasons that Jose said, specifically the crystal aspect, because uh, I know you guys have spoken to Brian Keller a bunch of times. I've interviewed Cody Stamen a couple of times. He seems like a sensible individual, the kind of person that does not believe in pseudoscience like crystals. So, like I said, I have not ruled out your insane crystal theory, but because the results so far for your side of it have been very positive. Uh, right. So. So this is really, again, I like to do my research. So we'll see going, so this fight will just be more data for us to compile as whether this crystal, these crystals have any actual effectiveness. Because if Brian Kelleher wins by like first round knockout or submission, 
again, I'll have to take a little note of that and, and uh, you know, give another point to the Crystal Crew side. But uh, yes, that's a fun storyline, quote unquote storyline to keep an eye on if that's what you want to call it. Um, because it is a storyline. Crystals, again, they're a fairy tale. They don't actually do anything. Uh, was, was, so. was it not you? Before we went on air, that says you like to deal in facts. You like to talk in facts, right? Yes, that, those science. were your words. Correct? I'm a man of science, Jose. <laughs> right. I'm a man of science. Right. So then you know the scientific method, right? You have a hypothesis. I, I, look. And then you go through the I, experiment, and then you the get an data, outcome. Right now, right now, the yes. data is 100% Jose and Crystal Crew. Very and 0% Alex and his bad well, music. Tell so, that. To, so tell that. Hold on. Who was the other? Who was the poor gentleman who uh, believed in Chris Jairzinho uh, uh, Rosenstruck? How about that? What happened to our poor Jairzinho? Uh, he didn't have Tiger's Eye. What's I don't. I failed to see what you're asking. Okay. Uh, hold on, I gotta, okay. Hold on. I'm making a note. I'm making. Okay. It was he didn't have the Tiger's Eye. All right. I'm making. Yeah, come a note. on. Like you know the answers. Crystal storyline fairy tale <laughs> on UFC 250. That is the one I'm keeping an eye on. Wow. This is we we've gone in so many different directions. So uh, great. But we'll see what happens there. But uh, I think we're all evened up, and we're heading into this final question. Um, I actually asked my seven year old son to to make the pick here see. with the one that we're going to go with, and there's no rhyme or reason for it. He has no idea really what I was asking. Soft tacos are better. Oh, go on. No, 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 no. But uh, <laughs> we're going we're to call this. Go ahead. Like you said, you, you said your son is seven. I hope this isn't above Jose's level of comprehension. Okay, right. sorry. Go ahead. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is what we're calling the off the cuff round. Hey, you, you, round. And, you and you and Mike's uh, seven-year-old son have something similar. You both can't grow facial hair. Oh wow! Too mean. Right into the final question. I mean, this is this is what we're looking for here. This is this is the kind of beef, the kind of heat that we want here on between the links. But uh, none of these guys know this question. They have no idea where it's coming from. But of the options, this is what my seven-year-old chose. This is for the win and the spoils, Jose. Since you know what, since you got the points in the last question, do you want to go first or last here? Uh, Alex can go first. All right, Alex. Here we go. Choosing to kick off. Yes, here's the question. I'm from New England. As much as I hate to admit, I'm not a Patriots fan. They always kick off first. <laughs> ah, there you go. And that's why they won so many championships. But UFC president Dana White, Alex, and ESPN host Dan Lebitard, they had a nice little heated debate on uh, the Dan Lebitard show last week. And in the end, for some god-awful reason, they verbally agreed to a fight for charity. Now, we all know that this fight is never, ever going to happen. But for the sake of this program and its debut – Alex K. Lee, if you are the promoter tasked with the kind of fight this would be or the gimmick that would be attached to it, I don't know, UFC contract on a pole match or something like that, put your Vince Russo hat on, Dana White versus Dan Lebitard, how are we doing this thing? I mean, I'm definitely booking this as a tag match that keeps uh, Dana and Dan, uh, Dan out of the ring as lo- ring or cage <laughs> or whatever fighting area as long as possible. Are you? I'm a believer in the old booking of, of uh, emphasize your strengths and hide your weaknesses. So uh, Dan Lebatard obviously gets uh, Jorge Masvidal. He teams up with Masvidal, and then uh, Dana really can team up with whoever he wants. I mean, again, he's got he's got that whole roster, but. He, he gets to, Dana gets to pick a, a welterweight or at least someone in the 170, 155, 185 range. Dan Levitard brings in uh, uh, Jorge Masvidal. And then, uh, yes, that, that, that's a little more of an interesting thing to me. Maybe you get Dana and Dan there for a little, a little bit of a lockup, maybe some interference. Uh, someone's definitely getting hit with a chair. But uh, otherwise, no, I, I have no interest. This is news to me. I did not, I did not hear that, uh, that challenge. So, uh, yes, I would do a, definitely do a pro, pro wrestling style match. This is happening in a ring, not in the octagon. And uh, Lebatard and White are maybe getting five minutes of in-ring time. And then you leave the, you leave the rest of the heavy work to the big boys. The mixed tag approach from Alex Kaylee. Jose, how are you booking this thing? This is one of the, well, this is one hundred percent going to be 
Dan Leverhart versus Dana White in a professional wrestling match is going to be Poppy on a pole, taking it right out of Vince Russo. Of course, Dan Leverhart's <laughs> co-host Poppy uh, is 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 the most is the only reason to watch the Dan Leverhart show. I greatly respect Poppy. I love how he pronounces every single uh, Hispanic name correctly, uh, straight from Cuba too. So uh, much respect to Poppy and everything he's gone through and his pronunciation of of names correctly. Unlike Alex, uh, I actually want Dana and Dan to be the mouthpieces. Oh, no, uh, they would be uh, the 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 managers uh, who then can take a bump or two and maybe scuffle on the outside of the ring. Uh, but they would each get champions. Of course, Dana White would get the professional, uh, the fighter with professional wrestling experience, and that is you named it, Ronda Rousey. Uh, she is in is his champion, and I'll say uh, uh, Dan Levitard gets the other female fighter who has actually called out AEW people, and that is Chris Cyborg. And we can finally see Ronda Rousey versus Chris Cyborg inside of a ring with Dana White outside and Dan Levitard outside and Poppy stuck on a pole a la Vince <laughs> Russo. Uh, I can't remember who was on the pole who in the WCW days. G- was Judy it, uh, Bagwell. Yeah, Judy Bagwell. The precedent <laughs> is there. It's going to be in Florida where every, there are no rules. There's going to be Bowie knives everywhere like I found in Jacksonville. So there you go. That is the correct answer. Poppy on a pole, Ronda Rousey versus Chris Cyborg, Dana White versus Dan Levitard. Point to Jose. I, wow. I, res- I respect the cyborg Rousey stealth booking. Way to slip that one under the fence. Uh, and listen, Jose, hold on. Listen, say what you want about my love of Limp Biscuit. Say what you want <laughs> about my my horrible, horrible inability to grow facial hair. You leave my, you leave my try hard name pronunciation alone. Okay, you Bill, Billy Billy Quarantillo. I'm sorry, Quarant- he pronounces his name wrong too. Billy Quarantillo, Ryan Benoit. Ryan Benoit. Hey, Alex, what's the last letter of the alphabet? Clitson, Clitson Abreu. Good luck with uh, that one, buddy. Don't even, don't even try it. I don't want you to, we don't want you to have to go there. Clitson Abreu. Sure. Uh, Z, the last letter of the alphabet, of course, is Zed. We all know that. Wow. The mighty Zed. Let us, um, th- this is tough. This is a, this is a good battle, but, uh, as, as people who have followed the show through all of its iterations, I don't like being the one who inflicts the decisions. I like to pass that on to somebody else to do so. So let us go to the truck to Casey Lydon. And Casey, what do you think? Who who won this battle? It was even going in. Now we're talking Poppy on a pole and all sorts of craziness when we put these this Dana White versus Dan Levitard matchup together. Who wins the inaugural episode of Between the Links? Jose Youngs. Jose Youngs gets the win. What a battle it was. There you have Alex. it. First show is Alex. We have our first winner. Alex, you want to touch it? You earned it. You want to touch it, Alex? You earned it. Hard work <laughs> paid off for you. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know. It's a, it's, it's a tough thing. And with Jose, that, undefeated, you know what I just here. want to say before we sign out, congratulations, Mike, on getting the show on MMA Fighting. I've been on it in its previous iterations, and it's really cool to see this on a massive platform like MMA Fighting's YouTube page. And with that, I am 3-0 and in between the links. I think Damon Martin <laughs> is out there yapping away that he's 2-0. and 3-0, and baby. Oh, the call-out. Oh. <laughs> I like the, it. Making the most of his post-fight time. That I respect. Because I, I would not have called anyone. I would have done the, uh, I'll take, Mike, I'll take on whoever you, I'll take on whoever the, 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 you guys, whoever MMA fighting wants. I'll take them on next. I just want to get back in there. I, I like the call. Damon Martin can come on and talk about <laughs> five-finger death punch all he wants. And that will be another <laughs> bad music uh, opinion on it between the links standing across Jose Young's. Oh, the drive-by on poor five-finger death punch. Wow, why? What'd they do? Made there bad music. Go. 
That is how you maximize your minutes, ladies and gentlemen. Right there. Jose Young is getting the victory on the inaugural episode of Between the Links on MMAfighting.com. We'll be back at it again next Tuesday, and we'll do it again. Make sure you check out the A-side with Jose Young's. That's going to drop tomorrow or Wednesday. What the heck drops Thursday? We'll have the weigh-in show, stare-downs, preview show on Friday for UFC 250. And then, of course, all of the fight night coverage you can handle on Saturday night. So make sure you subscribe wherever you're watching or listening. For Jose, Alex, I am Mike Heck. Thank you very much for checking out the show. And we'll see you back here next week as we go once again between the links. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.